all of you true crime loving fans, and welcome back to another edition of Murder Obsessed. I am your host, Katrina Stroll, and let's dive into today's story. I must caution you that this is explicit content. There are descriptions of murder, cannibalism, rape, and more. I also would like to preface my story with a trigger warning. Um, today's dude is just pretty messed up. He's, he's a little bit scary. So let's go ahead and dive in to Albert Fish. Albert Fish was born on May 19th, 1870. His father, Randall Fish, was a boat captain. Albert's given name was Hamilton, in honor of a family link with Washington's eminent family, the Hamiltons. So, this was a respectable, relatively well-off life that Albert Fish was born into. But everything changed, however, when his father died in 1875. His mother had to find a job and put Albert, who was five years old, into an orphanage. Here, he was teased by the other boys, so he decided to start going by Albert. It was then that he developed a lifelong taste for sadomasochism. I'm sorry, guys. I had to pause the video and literally look up how to say this word. Sadomasochism. And he developed this taste after getting regular bare-bottom whippings. Now, he was nine when his mother took him home. He left school at age 15 and realized that he was a very able painter and decorator. And he openly admitted to a psychologist, Frederick Wortham, when he was in prison, that he preferred men and boys, but he had a love, and when I say love, like, like messed up, for children. His prime sexual interest has only been children 5 through 14 up to 16 years old. Like, disgusting. But anyway, he worked in any kind of home where there were children. Now remember, he's a painter, he's a decorator, so there's lots of openings for that and lots of ways of, for him to get into um, these houses. He had a habit of putting painting overalls over his nude body. In his mess at mind, this gave him two advantages. One, he was able to be nude in, in a second. And two, people would see him in his painter clothes and not recognize him later in his regular attire. And he also took advantage of the fact that his job allowed him to move place to place, city to city, state to state. So it was a very nomadic type of entrepreneur at this time. By 1898, he had married, settled in New York, and had fathered six children. Fish claims that this was when he committed his first murder, a man in Delaware in 1910. But his family tell a little different story. His family date his descent into madness around the time his wife left him and the children in 1917. Afterwards, he appeared to suffer from hallucinations. He would take the children to a summer home in Westchester where he would climb a hill, shake his fist at the sky, and declare himself to be Christ, then ask his children to beat him on the buttocks. 
he became obsessed with paint. He would drive needles into his groin and insert fabric into his anus before setting it on fire. Like, what? Like, I, like, when I was doing research for, on this, this guy here, I, like, had to do a double take reading it. Because my brain was like, you did not just read what you just read. Like, there's, no. He liked to insert needles into his groin and insert fabric up inside of him and then light it on fire. What? Anyway, eventually his oldest son had had enough, threw him out of the family home. Now, Fish was regularly arrested. This is one of those times where the, the criminal just outmaneuvers the justice system. He was regularly arrested. Sometimes for vagrancy, petty theft, and sometimes for his favorite thing to do was sending obscene letters to women. But each time that he was arrested, he would be examined, pronounced peculiar but harmless, and tossed back into the community. We may never know how many rapes or murders that he committed in the 1920s and early 1930s. One case in particular ensured both his notoriety and his downfall. At the beginning of June 1928, he read an advertisement in the newspaper from Edward Budd, an 18-year-old looking for a job. Fish answered and arrived at the impoverished Budd household in the guise as Frank Howard, a farmer. So he, he read that this 18-year-old is looking for a job, and he's like, what a perfect victim. So he, he goes, he's saying, hi, I'm Frank Howard. I'm a farmer. Come work for me out in the, the middle of nowhere. Um, and so, like, the family, like, this wasn't unheard of. This wasn't abnormal. And despite Mr. Howard, air quotes, his shabby appearance, he was very well-spoken. And he even gave the children dollar bills. So it just kind of made him look like he was well off, made him look like he was different than he was. So after meeting the family, Fish decided that the burly 18-year-old was just too much. He's like, that's not my taste. He's too old. He's too burly. Like, I don't know if it was more of a, like, this guy will be able to take me if I try to attack him or if it was just his sexual proclivities was not attracted towards him. Because an 18-year-old um, can very much look like a man. They A lot of times they don't, especially if they're a hardworking farm boy, they're going to look less like a child and more like a man by the age of 18. But Albert Fish decided that um, 12-year-old Grace would do to satisfy him. He convinced the family to let him take her to a birthday party. Now, I read a couple different um, things that said, like, how that he convinced them. He told in one uh, story that I was reading, and I'll, I'll list the books that I've read in my research and the show notes. So there's so much. I mean, I didn't put nearly everything. But anyway, um, Rabbit Trail. Um one book said that he had, was going to take her to a, his sister's birthday party. And one said that he was going to take her to a party in, in the city. So either way, somehow this random stranger 
convince his family to let him leave with their 12-year-old child. I don't know. I'm not trying to victim blame. I'm not trying to, like, say any of that, but just... I don't know. Fish took her to his deserted, deserted summer house in Westchester. He left her outside, and it, it was said that she picked daisies and flowers around in the field outside. And he went inside. He got nude so that he would not get blood on his clothes, he later stated, and stood inside a closet and called her inside. He then came out of the closet when she came inside, chased her down, and as she was screaming that she would tell on him, he strangled her. He dismembered her and ate as much of her as he could. He later admitted to his prison psychiatrist that after he killed Grace, he positioned her neck on a one-gallon paint pail and cut her head off. Letting her blood drip into the pail, he tried to drink the warm blood, but he vomited it. He ate everything except her skeleton, head, and guts, which he buried what he didn't eat behind the house. Like, this was a really rough one. I wanted to do something kind of different than my earlier podcasts, which were all kind of like women criminals, which just fascinate me. And so I was reading in these books, and I found this, and it states that he he was one of the, the few people that was an inspiration for the Hannibal character that we all know. It's just sick and twisted and messed up, and it just breaks my heart for this poor little girl. Now, a huge manhunt pursued, but was unsuccessful. The case would have actually went cold if it were not for Will King. Even still, Fish might still have gotten away with it if he did not succumb to the need, to the urge, to brag about this crime. In 1934, he sent the Buds a letter telling them exactly what had happened and exactly what he had done to their daughter. Now, if you check out the books that I'm going to put in the show notes, you'll see the letter that he wrote and... I'm just not going to read it on here. I took a couple pieces from it to kind of fill in some blanks as I'm telling the story. But just to imagine getting this letter in the mail, looking everywhere for your missing 12-year-old little girl, and getting this letter from this sick fuck in the mail. But this is what got him. Thankfully... This led to his downfall. The envelope Fish used had a very distinctive logo on it. Will was able to make out a crossed-out return address that eventually led him to a flop house in Manhattan. King went there and described Mr. Howard, which is, you know, Frank Howard. That was the name that he told the Bud family. That's who he was, Frank Howard. He described this Mr. Howard to the landlady, and she said that matched a description, and upon looking was able to identify Mr. Howard's signature on the registry as a missive scrawl of Albert Fish. 
So chain smoking and eating out of canned goods, like eating canned goods, Will King waited and he got a room in this flop house, waited in this room for Fish to return. And one day, Alfred did, and King arrested him. On being challenged, Fish lunged at King, the straight razor, but King overpowered him and arrested him. Now, I don't want to say funny story because I just feel like nothing in this this man's life is funny. But at one point he did admit to um, Will King, and I read it in one of the books that I was researching him, and he said that he didn't even know that there were envelopes in the room he was renting until he saw a cockroach. He got up and went to squash the cockroach and saw the letters. And it also is, I guess, maybe important to note that the logo that Will King was able to identify and eventually find Albert, um, he had tried to mark it out. Like, so he wasn't, like, he was obviously insane, but he was still calculating. Like, he was still able to be like, hmm, I should mark out this logo because someone's going to figure out where this is. But once he was arrested, he just kind of was like, opened his mouth and word vomited. He began an extraordinary, rambling, obscene confession. He also confessed that he was responsible for killing four-year-old Billy Gaffney in 1929 and five-year-old Francis McDonald in 1934. Dr. Frederick Wortham testified in Fish's defense. He was guilty. That was no question. But what Albert was attempting to do is to plead insanity. And Dr. Dr. Frederick Wortham, which I've mentioned before earlier, testified in Fish's defense, saying, he's insane. He said, I can tell you that to the best of my medical knowledge, that every sexual abnormality that I have heard of, this man has practiced. He also said, he told me in many different words, he has told me that pain was uppermost in his mind, or words to that effect. So he pretty much told him at all times, all he was thinking about was it pain, inflicting pain on himself, inflicting pain on others. That was like the forefront of his mind. He had a lot of names in this time, uh, the Brooklyn Vampire, the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Gray Man, and it is like really important to like discuss the fact that he just wasn't inconspicuous. He was just blending the crowd. You did not look at this guy and think, that he was like Hannibal Lecter. You didn't. You didn't look at him and think that this man was insane and was killing children and eating body parts and all of these things. You you just couldn't see that when you looked at him. He was so inconspicuous and bland and just blend in with the scenery type person. Now, I read on a website, allthatisinteresting.com, that... There, to me, despite the fact that the orphanage was kind of where his um, S&M, like, I don't even want to say that because I don't want, like, someone from that community to be like, that's not us because that's obviously not um, 
his twisted, manipulated version of sadomasochism. I'm mispronouncing that word. Forgive me. And even then, like, nurture versus nature is a really big argument. But even then, even discussing that, there's no, like, he's nuts. But I did read on All That Is Interesting that he was plagued by mental illness since he was a child. He had a brother, which I did not read about in any other book. Now, this is just from my readings online. That he had a brother in the asylum, an uncle who was manic, and his mother regularly his mother regularly had hallucinations. So take it with a grain of salt. When I was reading about it in my books, I did not read that, but there also wasn't a whole lot about anything other than him being put in an orphanage at age five and his mother getting him again at age nine. So could have just been speculation, conjecture, um, Or could be true because he's obviously insane. Like, obviously there's something wrong in his brain and his upbringing might have tweaked it, might have amped it, might have changed it a little bit. But I feel like even if he had had an amazing childhood that this would still have come out. And just like, bravo. Like, this is like back trying to get back on track here, bravo to Will King, because he was like, no, this is not going cold case. You are not going to send a letter to a grieving family and be like, this is what I did to your daughter. Like, what enjoyment could that have brought him? I don't, I don't know. But like, hats off to chain smoking, eating out of cans, can good for dinner, Will King, because seriously, just bravo, like, you needed an award, I hope you got an award for that. Now, despite his plea of insanity, the jury was very eager for his heinous crimes to be punished, and they rejected that insanity defense. The jury was taking none of it, which, in truth, he definitely was insane. Like, for sure, this guy was insane. But that doesn't mean that I believe that he should be able to reap the benefits of getting an insanity plea. Especially the fact that he was arrested multiple times. And, like, I just feel like if he would have just been put away... Not that any of the things that he did could have put him away for life, but if if they just wouldn't have been, if they wouldn't have just seen this harmless old man who's just weird, and they would have seen him for this vicious predator that he was, maybe it had been a different outcome. And so the jury is like, nope, you're not going to get that insanity plea. We're finding you guilty, and you're getting sentenced to death by electrocution. So, I mean, in my, def- in well, not defense, because I'm not defending myself, but, like, in my opinion, like, yes. Like, he needs gone. And it also noted in the book that um, he was happy about this. Like, he, I mean, like, because he likes pain. And so, like, 
to go out dying in like one of the most painful ways possible. Like he was, ex he was happy. Like, I don't know. This one doesn't, this one doesn't sit with me very good. It's just messed up. And anyway, he was ex executed at Sing Sing prison on January 16th, 1936. It said that it took two attempts to like kill him twice because legend has it the first time failed due to it being short-circuited by the large number of nails that fish had embedded in his body over the years so like just the thought of like what like if I get a splinter and I do not immediately eject it from my body like I feel like I'm gonna die and that's like this tiny, tiny, tiny little shard of wood that like a lot of times you can't even barely see with a naked eye. So to have nails embedded, which I feel like that means like he like put the nail in his body, like pierced it down in, penetrated the skin, and then the body healed around it. To have that and be doing what he was doing I just I mean he loved pain and he loved inflicting it on others and having it inflicted upon himself it just I don't know like you can't see my face that I'm making but it's like ugh. Ugh. but yeah that's the story of Albert Fish you know one of the inspirations for our famous infamous is a better word, infamous Hannibal character. And, um, yeah, it was a nice little wormhole to go down in and just take a little vacation from my love of female killers and criminals. And um, the killer book of true crime, I, I got a Books a Million this weekend. That was where I found a lot of information. And serial killers and psychopaths, true life cases that shocked the world. So those are the two that I was using for my research, but I have this other one that I'm like super excited about and I, I just, I'm going to have to do a story out of it. I also got this at Books A Million, but it was at a bargain. So it was like on sale and it's called Gangster Women and Their Criminal World, the history of gangsters, malls, and mob queens. And so I'm just, I'm super excited to read about gangster women, um, the women who fell for gangsters throughout the 1930s and beyond and why they gave up normal life to aid and abet their criminal lovers. So, I don't know. I'm just kind of excited. I haven't got to get into it yet. But, um, of course, Bonnie and Clyde, you know, Helen Gills and Lester Babyface Nelson. Like, I'm just excited. I think that it's going to be a good read. And that was on sale for like six bucks. So I was like... Heck yeah. So, anyway, join me next week. And I'm hoping to have not a guest appearance because, the, I'm like, the part, the point is going to be to kind of add her into the podcast. But um, you'll have to listen next week and find out.
because I'm kind of just brand new and I'm starting out and of course no one's paying me to do this yet, I am doing small businesses that I kind of want to shout out and recognize and, you know, get the word out about them because they're just awesome. I, I love small businesses and I'm not saying that to like pat myself on the back. I'm saying that because I literally love small businesses because you just get awesome stuff. It's really like well made, you know, a lot of care went into it and I don't know. I just, I love supporting small businesses. Okay. Um, anyway, so back on task, the small business that I want to kind of talk about today is called A and K crafts and, um, it's a Facebook group and it's by, um, a person I don't know if I should say her name or not. Just look up A&K Crafts on Facebook, and you can see the picture is these, like, cup tumblers. And I'm just – I'm obsessed. I bought them as gifts. I um, I made my husband one with his business logo on it. I didn't make it, but, like, I ordered it. And um, I had a couple teacher friends that left the school that I'm at, and they both got one. One was looking like a pencil, and it was just so freaking cool. And then the other one was like a Slytherin house because she was my little Slytherin friend. And it's just awesome. So check out A, amper symbol, like the and sign, like shifts or like control seven or shift seven. Check A and K, A and K crafts, and the crafts is K R A F T S, not you know spelled with a C. Check it out. I'm getting a cup made right now, and it's like a pencil mixed with a composite notebook with my name on it. And I'm like so freaking excited. Like I keep messaging her, and I'm like I'm not trying to rush you or like be hateful. I'm just so excited that I'm like a kid at Christmas. And so check her out, and make sure that you check out my first one that I shouted out, which was Anomaly Eight Designs. I will put their Etsy in the show notes. Bye.